I like their first song when the psalmist says, you know, if it came down to it, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to not be in the house of God. I'll take whatever I can get. And it reminds me a little bit of the times that we're experiencing, you know, with if it if I have to wear a mask to worship the Lord with my brothers and sisters, then I'll do that if that's what I have to do. If I have to inconvenience myself, if I don't get to, to have things the way I'm used to having them, it's just a great attitude. It, it really is, as Sam said, it's an honor to be here. And uh, times may change. Um, they may not. It may take longer than we think as far as the conveniences of social distancing and really the threat of not being well. But I hope that we have that same attitude that we'll just worship God in whatever way we can. We'll come together in whatever way we can because our lives are about glorifying Him. We've been talking about our identity in Christ. We have this sermon and then one more in the near future. We have a baby baby dedication next Sunday, so we won't... I'm going to actually go off uh, the series a little bit and talk about something else next Sunday. Um, And then I think we'll have a communion Sunday, so it may be a little while before we get our last building block. But this is part two of our series of our identity of Christ in the building block of being declared righteous. So we're, we're wrestling with, we're hearing what God says in his word about who we really are. And it's very important because what God says in his word does not line up with what you're hearing in the culture. It's not what's in our songs. It's not what is found in our movies. It's not what's found on our talk shows. So let me just read the scripture that I'm basing. There's lots of scriptures, but let me just read the one that I'm basing this particular building block on. And that's in 2 Corinthians 5.21. The Apostle Paul is writing to the saints. He's writing to the church. People who believe in Christ, have given their lives to Christ. And he says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So our righteousness is found in the fact that we are hidden in Christ. To be in Christ is an incredible thing that is absolutely packed with fulfillment of promises and benefits. And that's part of what it means to find our identity in Christ. The reason I broke this one building block up into two parts is because not only do we have our identity in a righteousness of Christ, but the Apostle Paul also shared that we have a false identity and a false righteousness. And the Apostle Paul kind of gives his testimony in one of his epistles to the churches. And he said, you know, I had accumulated what he called a righteousness of my own. And as mankind, we have our own standards. We, have, we come up with our own rules, personally, individually. And as a culture, they may be pretty close to God's word and rules, and they may be way off. And Paul said, I had a righteousness of my own. I thought I was in right standing with God based on the rules that I was obeying and that I had set up. And in order to get right with God, he had to abandon his accomplishments and his rules 
And his achievements, his ability, his incredible self-discipline to obey these rules, he had to discard those and take up the righteousness of Christ. He's saying, to get to heaven, I can't get to heaven with what I've created here. I can only get to heaven and be right with God based on what Christ has done and accomplished for me. So there's a false sense of righteousness. There's a false sense of feeling good about ourselves based on what we believe, based on what we think. The culture has that. And we were also reminded that this word righteousness does mean moral perfection. It means that there's such a thing as right and that when you do it, you have done something that's right. So it does pertain to moral perfection, moral purity, obeying the rules, and so forth. But when you come to the Bible, it's a lot more than that. It's a relational term. Because righteousness means to be right. And not just right to whatever standard is out there, but right to God's standard. That's what righteousness means. It's not just to be right, it's to be right with God. It's important for us to be right. It's a relational term. And so the opposite of not being righteous isn't just unrighteous or morally impure. It's being rejected, relationally rejected. Just as being righteous or in right standing with God means to be accepted. You've been approved. He brings you in to fellowship. He, He invites you to the table. So it's a relational word. And we all need to feel accepted. We want to feel accepted. It's in our DNA. It's in our nature. And ultimately, it's because we were created to feel approved by God. That's what we want. Our hearts deep down want more than anything, though it's suppressed by our sin, is we want God's approval. And the gospel is, and I'm getting way ahead of myself, but the gospel is the only way you will get God's approval is by putting your faith in Christ and his righteousness and not your own. As I was preparing for this this morning and, and reviewing it, I, I, remind, I was reminded of Genesis 4, 7. And way back in the garden, we find this after the fall with Cain and Abel as they brought their sacrifices to God. You remember, God didn't have regard for Cain's sacrifice. And I'm not going to get into why, but there was something wrong. And it wasn't God. It wasn't God being unfair. It was something wrong with Cain in his heart. And God says, you know that it will go well with you if you do well. Why is your countenance down? Why are you downcast? In other words, Cain was feeling rejected. He wasn't feeling God's approval approval because God could not approve him for whatever it is that he wasn't doing right. There's a lot of different ideas behind that. But he says... You're, you're, it will go well with you. And that's a, um, you know, Hebrew is really pictorial. And it's basically describing your whole face being lifted up. Like instead of the frown, the, 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 um, the smile, the happiness, the, the joy. And Cain is trying to feel the joy of God's approval without obeying God as God wants to be obeyed and worshipped. That's the problem of humanity in a sense. We all want to find our own way to be approved instead of God's way. It's a false sense of righteousness. Now, 
this has everything to do with our identity. Because God, if God calls us or declares us righteous, then that's who we are. And that's who we need to see ourselves as. Because when we don't see ourselves in the proper light of truth, if we don't think rightly, if we don't believe rightly, then we don't behave rightly. Because we, we live according to what we believe. It, it oozes out of us. We might say one thing, but we're going to live what we really believe. We're going to react and make decisions based on what we really believe. So if we think wrongly, we're going to dream wrongly, we're going to desire wrongly, we're going to choose wrongly. Our identity. When you think about who you are, you think about the struggles in life, what's bringing meaning, why are you here, what are you supposed to do? And how can you find significance, acceptance, and approval? What do you turn to? There's a big thing in today's culture. Everybody wants to be the true, your, your true self. You've got to find your true self. Because you have yourself, but then you have your true self. And you just hear it over and over again. You're not being true to yourself. You need to be true to yourself. So our, our culture has drawn conclusions of what it means to be true to yourself. In other words, to find your, your actual identity. Let me read a testimony to you by Jackie Hill Perry. And I read it several months ago on Breakpoint uh, Colson Center. Um, great. They have great news. They have uh, very reliable and edifying um, commentaries, and they keep a, a bead on the culture and how it wrestles with God's Word. So this is from Breakpoint, and it's called The Call to Be Countercultural. I've kind of edited this to abbreviate it. <clears throat> but it says, two years ago, when Jackie Hill Perry, a talented writer, poet, and speaker spoke at Wilberforce Weekend, which is a Christian weekend conference that they host there through Bay, uh, Colson Center. She had the entire room leaning forward in their chairs. A powerful speaker with a powerful testimony about following Christ out of a lesbian lifestyle. And no one in the audience wanted to, to miss a word of her testimony. Now recently... Jackie Hill Perry shared her testimony in a YouTube interview with Christian comedian Kev on stage. I have no idea what, who or what that is. After leaving a long-term relationship when she gave her life to Jesus, and after two years of discipleship, deep involvement in the church, Jackie married Preston Perry, a poet and apologist. And they have two daughters with a third baby on the way. Now, when in the YouTube interview, Jackie shared that she still struggles with same-sex attraction, her host was noticeably surprised, and so was the audience. And many commentators accused Jackie of suppressing her true self and denying the humanity of others with same-sex attraction. And after days of social media pressure, Kev on stage decided to take the, the video of the testimony down. 
So the anger directed at the, at the Perrys reflect a sad fatalism that permeates both the LGBTQ movement and the so-called gay-affirming Christians movement. Their critique is rooted in a bad idea that our sexual desires fundamentally define us. You see? That's who your true self, the culture will tell you, your true self is whatever sexual desire you have. And if you don't follow it, you are not being true to yourself and you're denying your own humanity and your own identity. You need to live out your identity. So he says, Any, anyone with same-sex attraction will be ultimately powerless against this sexual desire. And no other temptation or sin, of course, is thought of in this way. We don't Bad ideas have bad consequences, and they, it doesn't pan out if you try to apply this cultural belief of finding your identity in other areas. It doesn't pan out. Scripture says we certainly have desires, but they do not define us. They are to be understood in light of God's narrative of the world and humanity. So that's how we are to understand our desires, and that's how Jackie Hill Perry understands what's going on with her desires in her life. Now, here is her answer to the, the, the restlessness about her sharing, hey, I still have same-sex attraction. She says, if you don't understand the reason you were created, and then you don't understand how sin has corrupted that, then when we talk about denying self, you don't understand that yourself is broken. We were created for glory. We were created to love and honor God. When sin came into the mix, it perverted and twisted our affections and twisted our desires where now we desire things that go against God's original intention for our body and our creation. So to say that we're denying ourselves is to say that we are attempting through the power of the Spirit... To restore our bodies and minds back to its original intention, which is to honor God. So she, she frames her life, her sexual desires, her struggles in the narrative of God's story. Whereas the world would say, you can't deny your struggles. You can't say no to these urges that are so deep within you. She says, actually, you can and you should. Because the reason they're there is because we're broken and some of our desires are not good. And if we follow them, they will actually just continue to break us down. Continue to lead us astray. So you see how important it is for us to know where our source of identity is coming from? I mean, who, who do we turn to? Who do we trust? What do we look for to, file, to, to fill this anxiety and this emptiness and this loneliness that we might have and be experiencing in our lives? We must turn to God. So who do we see when we look at ourselves in the mirror, our, our broken selves, our wandering selves, our, our sometimes confused selves, our struggling selves? What do we see? What do we believe? So today, so today we want to look at what God has actually declared us, this aspect, and that is He has declared us, if you are in Christ, you get the acceptance. It will be well from you or with you, thus saith the Lord. You have a positive verdict. But the reason you have a positive verdict isn't because of 
uh, your lifestyle, of your accomplishments, because some are better than others, but they all fall short. The reason you have a positive verdict is because of Christ, and Christ did not fall short on our behalf. Christ obeyed every rule. Christ did everything that it took on our behalf to please the God of heaven. And that's the gospel. And when we believe in Jesus Christ, we're not believing in ourselves or even partially in ourselves. We're not saying, you know, actually, God, I, I got this part under my belt and I can do this part of the Christian life on my own. But I do need Jesus for these parts. Patchwork doesn't get us into heaven. The Apostle Paul said, I, I got rid of all of my righteousness. Our righteousness falls short. And so when we humble ourselves and we realize, I do not have what it takes to be approved by God. There's nothing in me. God's wrath is upon me. So I need Christ. And when you cry out for Christ, then you get the approval of God. That is the good news that we all need to hear, that the world needs to hear as we struggle with our hearts. Now, when we reject God's plan or fight against God's plan, but yet want the approval like Cain... You can't have them both. And we will remain anxious and upset. So Jesus beautifies us. Jesus paints us, if you will. He robes us. He he recreates us as beautiful in the sight of God by robing us in His righteousness. And what happens is in our brokenness we have a tendency to go off and to care more about what other people think about us than what God thinks about us. That's a struggle. Man, I want this person's approval. I want this person's approval. I I fear their rejection. Talk about a culture of fear with the uprisings and the protests and the cancel culture. I mean, everybody's on edge. Who's going to, who are they going to come after next? If you don't conform, you're, you're rejected. It's a manipulation. So, unfortunately, in our brokenness, we let this get to us and we look to our fellow man or, or this cause or something else for our approval and we start to try to conform ourselves to gain it. When... There really, in the end, there's only one approval that we need, and that is of God's. And no matter whose approval you have in this world, no matter how many, the only approval we really need that gets us into heaven and fulfills us to be what we were created to be is the approval of God. So our identity needs to be built upon this particular building block. And that's who we will face as a judge in the end. And he judges rightly. And he will judge us based on our belief in Christ or the lack thereof. And so Jesus brings us to God and Jesus gives us God. And here's a scripture in Romans 5. Um, 
Noah read one, and I think it was in Romans 8. Here's a scripture in Romans 5. So while we were still weak, that's how God saw us, whereas we might have thought, man, I'm, I'm almost achieving heaven. I'm this close. But while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were st- still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for us because we reached a certain level of morality. He died for us while we were all still in our sins. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son... And how much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So in essence, the Apostle Paul would say, stop, stop your own striving, stop your own working, stop your own doing and begin to trust in what Christ has done for you. Now, you notice when we, every worship session that this church has, we do not praise ourselves for our own accomplishments. Every Sunday we come and the songs that are chosen are songs that exalt Christ and what he has done for us. Because that's where we find our life. That's where we tap into it. So no matter what kind of week we have had or haven't had, It is about focusing on what he has done for us. That's the gospel. And that's when it comes to identity, that's where we want to find ourselves. I I recently had to testify in a uh, court case. Actually, about this time last year, my son Josiah and Emily got married. Some of you guys were in Maine. And um, a few, just a few days after the wedding, and Lisa and I had this grand vacation plan to go to Nova Scotia and so forth. And uh, uh, I think it was the day after the wedding, <clears throat> we were on the way. We were leaving Maine on our way to Nova Scotia. I get this call. My truck's been stolen. Yeah, the truck that's out there, I got it back, obviously. It's been stolen. Anyway, a year later, I've, got, I've been back and forth to court, but it's... Court's very complicated, and you go, and it doesn't really count. You just have to kind of go. But this one really counted. And um, so I went to, the, to Prince Edward where this guy had kind of gone on a crime spree. He and a few others, they went on a crime spree, and they did a lot of uh, foolish things. They stole vehicles. They broke into homes. They broke into businesses. They broke into a church. And sometimes they took things. Sometimes they just destroyed things. And it was one of those kind of <clears throat> events. And... You know, I came away from that, that uh, experience with, with a lot of different thoughts. And one of the thoughts I had is I'm sitting in there, I'm listening to all the indictments, and I'm listening to what some of the peop, the victims, I was a victim, uh, what, what they were saying and what he had done. The guy, is already, he's, already, he's a young guy. He'd already been in jail for a year. And I'm thinking to myself, uh, while I'm thinking about what I'm going to say, I'm seeing myself as beyond that. I'm seeing myself as he's a thief, he's a crook, and I'm beyond that. I'm the victim of it. And on the way home, I'm realizing 
I start kind of slumping in my seat because I realize that was me. That was me when I was about that age and younger. I did foolish things and made decisions like for a thrill, not even thinking about the consequences. I mean, youth do those kind of things to different degrees, and it might be innocent, it might not be that bad, or it might be really bad, but I did stupid stuff for the thrill or the moment or for to be accepted by my peer group. Not even thinking, I don't picture myself sitting in jail with a red suit, jumper suit, or orange. You don't picture yourself when you're doing these fun, exciting things. You know, isolated. You picture the, the moment. And I, I had pa- compassion for the guy. You know, I hope, I hope God, find, he finds God in jail. He's going to be there for a long time. But I was just thanking God for saving me out of that apathetic short-sighted, sinful, blind lifestyle that I lived. That was one of the thoughts that I came away with. And the other thing that I came away with is that uh, the, the best thing you can do, if you've been busted, there's, there's good evidence against you, you know, the best thing you can do for yourself is get a good attorney. It's It's true. See, you've already been charged. The, 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 the Charles, you've been caught. The charges have been filed. It really no longer depends on you because all of the weight of the verdict, according to the laws that are already written, now it goes to the attorney. And a good attorney can be an absolute game changer. Now, we've seen this in our generation. Think O.J. Simpson. So, uh, attorneys... They make a big difference. And what happens is that you you agree for that attorney to represent you. No, Your Honor, actually, I don't want to represent myself. You might be the kind of person that would stand before a judge and just wet your pants or or stutter. Or your your mind scrambles and you start indicting yourself and, and, and saying things that criminalize you. You stammer, you, you can't think clearly. No, Your Honor, I don't want to represent myself and defend myself. I want that person to do it. And if that person can wax eloquently and really knows the law and, and knows how to defend well, then, then their good defense is imputed to you. You get the benefit of how well they are doing. If they're brilliant, you get the benefit of their brilliance because they've agreed, of course, to speak on your uh, your behalf. <clears throat> so we're talking about being declared righteous. Now, this is courtroom talk. This is stuff that happens in the heavens between the triune God, the holy, holy council of the heavens for us to be declared righteous. And it is this trial or this judgment that will take place in the end. And all of us will face this judge of who created all things, including right and wrong. And so he, this is the only court case that is really going to matter to us. The only verdict that will really matter to us because it decides our fate of eternity. Now we know that Jesus is our advocate in one of the songs that we sang this morning reminded us Jesus is our advocate. 
So he is our lawyer. He represents us, a mediator. Scripture has a lot of different words. So what's our advocate going to say in our most important court case ever in our lives? And that is, what's he going to say for those that are in Christ? For those that have said, no, I've abandoned my, my righteousness. I humble myself and what I want is Christ. That's all I need is Christ. It's all about Christ. Well, what's he going to say? Well, he say, well you, well, you know, Father, Judge, your, your, your honor, you know, boys will be boys. Yeah, they, they, just go easy on them. They have weaknesses and impulses. Is that what he will say? Or will he, before the Father, on our, on our behalf, plead for mercy? Uh, will he say, actually, uh, Your Honor, you're, you're absolutely right, and I know the law, and I see everything that they have done, and they are guilty. But mercy, mercy, please have mercy. It's a tough world down there. Temptations abound. Please, judge, have mercy on this child. So do we picture our advocate just just not trying really to defend us, but to plead for mercy? Yes, he blew it here. Please have mercy. And he blew it. She blew it. Blew it here, here, here. Please have mercy and mercy, 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 more mercy. Is that what our advocate is doing or will do? What is our defense? Or would it be something like this? <clears throat> yes, Father, your honor. Guilty as charged. Blew it. In every sense of the word, absolutely indefensible. And your honor, your law absolutely demands, demands justice. And the wages of sin are death. And I understand that a payment of death is demanded in order for justice to be done. And your honor, here's the death. Here's the death on their behalf. It is my life that I give for them. And so in the courtroom of heaven, you have mercy. Yes, it's a merciful decision that was been made. We did not deserve that. But the reason that we can stand righteous before God is because Jesus did a righteous thing. He's Agreeing with God that justice must be done, but then he does it by giving his life for us. You ask for justice, your honor, and I give you justice. And then there's a third thing that I walked away with as I was thinking about courtroom language. That is, I got summons to court. I got summons to court in Prince Edward several times. I got summons to court in Augusta County because that's where they took the truck. And here I am in, in uh, Canada talking to Corky. Bless his heart. He and Tom Hunter, I think it was Tom, right? They went and got my truck because they're like, you can't keep your truck here. All right, well, I can't come get it. I'm like in Canada right now. Corky, you know, so Corky and Tom, bless their hearts. They went back and got it. Uh, on his way home, Corky's like, I-, I didn't know that you still dipped. Like a big old can of snuff in your truck. Well, that's one of the things the guy stole. 
when he broke into a store in Farmville. All that effort and all the risks to get some snuff and cigarettes. Didn't steal the money out of the cash register or anything else. So, anyway, where, what was I talking about? So I got, um, I got summoned. And, of course, I'm trying to get out of everything I can because it's a long way. And you know what you do? You just sit there. It's like the doctor's office. You just sit there and wait. And all time is, oh, man, drives me crazy. So I call ahead all the time. Do I have to be there? How important is it? I've already testified and so forth. And uh, the day before I was supposed to appear in Augusta County, I called the Commonwealth. Again, I said, okay, I I got the summons. Do I have to be there? And he says, actually, no, you don't have to be there. And I said, yes. He said, you don't have to be there because of, um, I've been looking into this. You don't have to be there because of double jeopardy. And I said, wow, that's great. I can't really remember what, thinking to myself, I can't really remember what double jeopardy is, but whatever it is, I like it. Because I don't have to go all the way to Augusta and take my whole day. So double jeopardy clause is in the Fifth Amendment of the United States Constitution. It prohibits anyone from being prosecuted twice for substantially the same crime. The relevant part of the Fifth Amendment Amendment states, no person shall be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb. So you can't, uh, they can't prosecute them for the exact same thing in Augusta County as they already had in Prince Edward. So I didn't have to go to Augusta to hear the same kind of thing. The Jesus is our advocate. He pleads for justice before a righteous God. Because according to justice, two payments cannot be demanded for the same debt. You see? So when Jesus says, I've paid the price, I have died the death in full. There's no need in order for justice to be accomplished for them to die again. Because the penalty has been paid. And blood, uh, Christ's blood, Scripture tells us, cries way louder than our blood. Way louder than innocent Abel's blood who was slain by Cain. It cries from the ground, righteousness and justice must be done. And because Christ gave his life, justice was done and it's honored in the high courts of heaven. See, we were evicted as sinners and shamefully rejected and turned down. And Jesus paid our wage. And so now we are off of death row because he went on and took our place. He performed what we should have performed. He did what we should have done. He was righteous. He didn't just die for us. He also lived perfectly. Remember when John the ba- he went to get baptized by John the Baptist? And John's like, oh, there's something wrong with this picture. You want me to symbolize the washing of your sins? What's well, deeper than that? Jesus says, it must be so, so that righteousness might, might be fulfilled. It wasn't that he had to be cleansed. It was part of the law of God that needed to be obeyed. See, Jesus obeyed everything. 
everything that brings joy and pleasure to God. He did it in his short life. He did it. Why? So that he, he was already righteous. He didn't need to gain righteousness. He did it so that he could share it and give it to those that were not righteous. And that is you and I. So that we can be in right standing as he is in right standing with God. I mentioned this at the Easter sermon, actually right there on the front porch while y'all were in your cars in our parking lot service. It's just like the righteousness of Christ being given to us is similar to the Congressional Medal of Honor. It's an incredible achievement. It's the, it's the medal, like you can't even make it happen. You don't train for it. it it's an exemption of such incredible uh, bravery and self-sacrifice that you have exhibited to save your fellow man. You put yourself in harm's way. I mean, conditions have to be almost perfect, uh, perfectly terrible for you to get this award. I mean, you just got to go way beyond, beyond to get this award. They're very few and far between. Everybody knows when you see one, whoa, what did this guy do? And it's as if Christ puts the medal of honor that he gained in his life of sacrifice and obedience. He puts it around our neck. And we stand before the Father. And the Father is pleased with us. Because of what Christ has done. And Christ shared that with us. He gave that to us as a gift. Do we deserve it? No. But do we have it? Yes. We have been declared righteousness. And it is not our own. You do not want your own righteousness. We want the righteousness of Christ. And we get it by faith and profession. As we wind down, listen to a quote from John Bunyan, who is also the author of Pilgrim's Progress. He says, um, I think this was, uh, let's see, he, well, he obviously was converted to be a come. To become a Christian. Uh, He says, One day, as I was passing into the field, this sentence fell upon my soul. Thy righteousness is in heaven. And with the eyes of my soul, I saw Jesus at God, the Father's right hand. And there I said, Is my righteousness? So that wherever I was, Or whatever I was doing, God could not say to me, where is your righteousness? So he's saying, that's where my righteousness is, in heaven. For it's always right before him. I saw that it is not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better. Nor yet my bad frame that made my righteousness worse. For my righteousness is Christ. Now my chains fell off indeed, my temptations fled away, and I lived sweetly at peace with God. Now I could look from myself to Him and could reckon that all of my character was like the coins a rich man carries in his pocket when all his gold is safe in a trunk at home. What a beautiful illustration. You know, our righteousness is like pennies. 
And there's this treasure of gold, the righteousness of Christ. It's in, it's in heaven. Oh, I saw that my gold was indeed in a trunk at home. In Christ my Lord. In the heavens. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. When you look in the mirror, brother and sister in Christ, what do you see? Do you see yourself as framed by the word of God and the truths of God? Christ has accomplished things for us and that's how God sees us. And we have to beat into our heads, no matter what we experience or hear from the world, to believe truth as God speaks it. Being in Christ puts us in good standing with God and we can live that way. One more quote quote from Martin Luther when we close. He says, I understand this, but it's hard to believe it. Martin Luther says, we have to take this truth of our justification and beat it into our heads every day. Why? Because we basically don't believe it. And I I get to the end of the day and I want to be able to approve of myself. And when I can't, then my first place that I go is I think, well, of course, God must be unhappy with me. No, he's not. I need to beat it into my head every day. That's not my identity anymore. It's not my righteousness that I'm living by. My new identity is that I have been loved by God and justified by Him and He's at peace with me. Who am I in Christ? I'm a new creation. I'm uniquely made of God's artwork. And I am loved by God. I am valued by God, and I have been declared righteous by God, and therefore I am at peace with God, and I'm dead to sin, and I've been acquitted from my sin. And I am at fellowship with my Creator. I am right with God day and night, in sickness and in health, poor or rich. I am right with God because Christ is right with God, and I am in Christ. May God bless the preaching of his word.